in all of your ways. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. Perfect in all of your ways. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to be jumping into a look at the not too good to be true father, but the true father. And as we do, I want to first tell you about a man. This man grew up or was born in the mid-60s in Montgomery, Alabama. And if the 60s in Montgomery, Alabama don't give you immediate signs to your history class, or maybe for some of you not history class, but the nightly news, you will know that there was a lot of turmoil going along in the mid-60s and 70s in Montgomery, Alabama. This man grew up in a blue-collar family. He lost his mom at the age of 12. His father was a rough, hard-working man, but struggled to show his love in any real ways. This man had a younger brother who he immediately became the caregiver for, taking care of as a teenager. This man would work the night shift at a local grocery store to help out the family and then wake up bright and early the next morning to go to high school every single day. This man graduated high school, began some college, but was needing to work through that time. He got married at age 21, had his first kid at age 23. He graduated college, taking night classes and providing for his family. He started working in a bank as a teller. They then said, well, you're in your 20s. Why don't you go and do the repossessions for us? That's a real fun job. (laughs) He then became a personal banker, a loan officer, a city president, and now the president and CEO of a community bank. This man is my dad. My dad, who coached me in basketball and soccer, though he had never played. My dad, who would learn Spanish vocabulary words with me because he knew it would help me out. My dad, who instilled in me a love for Alabama football that I don't think anything's going to get out of, and who worked hard so that I could attend that university, not just cheer them on. My dad, who taught me the value of hard work, of dedication, of treating people well, who models to me how to treat people with love and kindness, no matter his title or their title. See, I would say to you guys, I have a great father, and I am thankful for it. But not everybody in this room could say that. For some of you, when I say the word father, or when we sing those words in that song we just finished, Father is a tough word to swallow, a tough word to hear, and a really tough word to say because some of you had an abusive father that you feared every single day. Some of you had an alcoholic father that you just avoided every single night. Some of you had an abrasive father that you said it's just easier to appease him and just keep him happy. Some of you had a distant father you never knew. Some of you a cheating father who tore apart your family. Some of you had a never-present father who was not in your life. Some of you lost your father. Some of you never met your father. Some of you shudder that I have said father eight times in the last 30 seconds, and it is hard for you to handle. But today I want to introduce you not to a too-good-to-be-true father, and I want to introduce you to the true 
Father. The Father Almighty, who we do not need to fear or avoid or seek to appease. The Father Almighty, who is love, who freely gives mercy, and who seeks to pour out good gifts to us for our own good and for the world's good. It was interesting, this week we were in our Wednesday night class and we were studying Our Father, and so it just kind of made sense that we're going to study it today as well. We were studying Our Father, and as I was doing some research on that, in the Jewish literature and the scholars of Judaism, it wasn't until the 10th century A.D. that they would start using or referring to God as Father. A thousand years after Jesus... It took for them to start seeing God as Father. Maybe that's why it was so revolutionary when Jesus says, I want to introduce you to my Father. He's saying, He is my Father, but He's also your Father. He says, I want you to pray to Him as our Father, not Yahweh, not God Almighty or the Lord God. No, my Father who art in heaven. He was introducing us to this radical thought. Maybe that's what got Jesus killed, but also it's what brought us life. So today I want to talk about the true Father, and the best way that I could understand to do this sermon was to ask the natural questions that you are going to ask as you sit in the pews. The first question that I have, or that I would think you would ask is, is God my Father? See, it's easy for us to talk about God the Father, and you've probably heard that said, but the real question then comes personal, where you're sitting there and going, but is God really my Father? Can I call Him Father? Does He care about me? Galatians chapter 4 is our primary text today. Galatians chapter 4, we're going to read the verse 4 through 7. You'll see it on the screen as I read it as well. It says this, but when the fullness of time had come. So other places, Paul says, at the right time, Jesus came, or when God was ready, that's all we're seeing here. And when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, Jesus, born of a woman, Mary, born under the law, what we are under, this this expectation of righteousness that we cannot become, we cannot get to God except if we meet this standard, born under the law, so that we might receive adoption. Oh, sorry, I skipped some stuff. Verse 5, he was born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let me pray as we break down these verses this morning. Dear God, teach us clearly from your word our place, our privileges, and your love for us. Help us to understand today who and who are sons and daughters of God, and how, a fa- how good of a father you truly are. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
So Galatians 4, it's a beautiful passage. God sent His Son, Jesus, the one and only true Son of God, in the essence of God, in the being of God. This is who Jesus is. He is then sent to do what? To redeem, to buy us back, to bring us to God, to deliver us from the penalties and the debt and all that we owe to, to take us away from being under the law, meaning all that is in the Old Testament and these rules in order to be holy and to be good enough to be around God. It says that he sent Jesus to redeem all of those under the law. What does that mean? Everybody in the lineage of Adam. What, that was also just church speak. Why did you say that more difficult than needed to be? Every person born of a man and a woman. That is who Jesus came to redeem. You and me, and them, and they, and whoever. God sent Jesus to redeem them, all of us. Why? So that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, let's talk about adoption. Adoption in our day is quite prevalent. I I would be willing to guess that somebody in this room was adopted. I know for a fact that everybody in this room knows somebody that has adopted a child. Adoption is pretty common in our world, right? We know the crisis of abandoned children and the need for families to open their homes, to open their hearts, and to open their lives to uh, children in need. And so we support adoption. We are for adoption. We encourage it. And, And so we get adoption, but we probably don't get it fully what Paul is talking about. See, in Jewish culture, Paul, a Jew, one of the best of Jews, adoption was not really a thought. You, you, didn't, you didn't just abandon a kid in any way. The only way that somebody would ever even be adopted is if their father died, but you really didn't go through an adoption process. No, their brother just stepped in and cared for the family. And so adoption as a term wasn't Jewish really in any way. But there was a significant understanding of it in Roman culture. So as Paul is living in this Roman and occupied land, he he brings out this idea that they know about because they have seen. So in Rome, adoption is a powerful thing. When a child was born biologically, the parents had the, get this, option to disown the child at any point. They could disown for a variety of reasons. A parent was not necessarily, if they didn't desire to be a parent, they didn't have to be a parent anymore. They could disown the child. But if a child was adopted, we must catch this because it is pivotal for our understanding today. If a child was adopted, it means that that child was freely chosen by the parents that he was desired by the parents. And then it also meant that that child was permanently a part of the family. Parents could not disown those they adopt. Any child born biologically could be disowned. An adopted child could never be disowned. And so... What does Paul say? You were adopted. Your identity has changed. Also in adoption, any prior commitments, responsibilities, any debts that that child had were completely erased. 
He was given or she was given new rights and new responsibilities. This, this idea of inheritance. We think of inheritance as when someone dies, then they leave an inheritance. But inheritance in that day was a living matter as well. And so when you were adopted, you were immediately granted rights to the inheritance of the family. You were a joint sharer of all the possessions of that family. Adoption makes you completely in that family. All the baggage you brought erased. All the difficulties maybe you bring in and, and the trouble that you cause, you can never be disowned. We were talking about this Wednesday night and we said, you cannot choose your dad, right? You just came out and you were like, well, there he is. That's my dad. But through adoption, a dad can choose a son or a daughter. And God, it says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 5, you have received adoption as sons. You are His. If we have found the salvation that is freely given by Jesus Christ through His life, His death, and His resurrection, if we put our faith in what He has done on the cross and we believe it, then we are adopted sons and daughters of God. We have a Father who sought us, who desired us, who will never disown us, a Father who erases our history, who gives us a new identity, who has chosen us. And it says in verse 6, And because you are sons, God has given the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir. As adopted sons and daughters, we are no longer slaves to sin, slaves to the law, slaves to righteousness. No, we are no longer slaves trying to earn our way in the family and to prove our worth. No, we are bought and we are a part of the family forever. And that brings us new privileges as well. It says that we are then given the Spirit of God. And it says that we can cry out, Abba, Father. Now, what does that word mean? Some of you are just thinking of a band from back in the day, Abba. And you're going, okay, I get that. But no, what does this mean? It's an Aramaic word. That, that is a, it's like a... It's a term of endearment for a father. Jesus uses it. Paul uses it as well. Abba, Father, is this word that reveals a deep and a personal and an intimate relationship with God. It is almost like saying, as some people like to translate it, like, Dad. We can cry out, Dad, to our God who hears us and cares for us. To a father who knows us who is connected to us and cares about us. I love how Peter writes this transition that is made. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, once you were not a people, but now, no, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter is quoting from the prophet Hosea, and I don't know if you know the story of Hosea. It is wild. Hosea is a man that God chooses, and he says, I want you to be a voice for me to Israel because they are a rebellious nation. And he says to Hosea, I want you to go marry her, the prostitute, Gomer, the woman of ill repute, the woman who is 
just finding a man for pleasure or for fun or for just accompaniment. I want you to marry her. So Hosea marries her. But Gomer, the prostitute, continues in the patterns of her lifestyle, and she has children, most likely not Hosea's children. They are given names, lo ruhama, meaning uh, no mercy. Another child is given the name lo ami, not my people. But hear what the prophet Hosea says to that child born from, her, from his or her mother's wrongdoings. It says this in Hosea chapter 2. I will have mercy on no mercy. I will say to not my people, you are my people. To Loami, you are my people. To Lo Ruhama, I will have mercy on you. That is what God the Father, looking to us, says. I will have mercy on you. I will make you mine. I am your Father. So, is God your Father? Yes, if Jesus is your Savior. The second question that I think we have today is, well, if God is my Father, what is He like? Because all of us come into this room with different experiences of Father. What is he like? I have a few verses that are going to point it out, and then we'll land in one more text. God is a father who comforts. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction. We have a father who comforts us. We also have a father who blesses us. James chapter 1, verse 17, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He is not going to change, but He is going to be blessing us and being good to us. This is not a prosperity gospel. No, this is the God of the Bible saying, I desire to bless my sons and daughter, my people. I want good for them. He also is a God who provides, Luke chapter 12 Verse 28, but if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations would seek after these things, but your Father knows that you need them. And he goes on to say, and he will provide what we need. God is a God who comforts, who blesses, who provides we can also look at the character of Jesus, just who He is, the person of Jesus, as a model to who God is. Read this in John chapter 14. Philip, his disciple, says, Lord, show us the Father. Talk, tell us about this God you've been telling us all about. Let us see Him. Show us the Father, and it is enough. And Jesus said to him, verse 9, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His work. What is that saying? 
When you have seen Jesus, as we flip through the Gospels, and we see the kindness, the compassion, the love, the mercy, the goodness of Jesus, the commitment that he shows to people all throughout the Gospels, we are seeing a picture of our God and how he treats us, how he desires us, how he loves us. Colossians chapter 1 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Verse 19 of that chapter, in Jesus the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. When we want to know how our God acts, all we have to do is look at how his son acts because they are in the same essence and being and they act in the same way. The simplest way to maybe explain it is found in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, Jesus is teaching. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For those who knock, or for everyone who asks, receive. And the one who seeks, find. And the one who knocks, it will be open. And then he goes into putting it in an earthly way. Which one of you, if his son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? The most basic way that I can explain this is this. God the Father is better than any earthly father could ever be. He is available He is seeking us. He bestows good gifts on us for our good. He knows our needs and He meets our needs. He is present. He is caring. He is committed. He is never giving up on us. A Father whose love we can never lose. A Father who displays infinite compassion, unconditional love, everlasting forgiveness. That is the God that we worship, the Father that has adopted us. One of the best pictures of God as Father is found in Luke chapter 15. It tells the story... Jesus does, of a man that had two sons. And the younger son was wishing his father was dead and wanting his inheritance now. And so he goes to his dad and says, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. He runs off in wild living and and, and blows everything he has. Then he comes to his senses and he, he says, well, I need to go back. I can at least be a servant in my father's house. It's better to be a servant there than a servant where I'm at. And so he starts making up, or he starts working on his apology as he walks home. And then when he is a far way off, it says in Luke chapter 15, his father, who was waiting and watching, goes rushing and running to him, throwing aside all of the uh, protocols of the day, embarrassing himself in front of everyone because he desires his son and he is celebrating that his son is coming back. He throws his arms around him. He throws a party for him. He puts a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and clothes on his back. And he says, son, I am so glad that you are here. I love you. I've been waiting for you. I've been watching for you. I've been desiring you. I want you. Henry Nowen, explaining that moment, he says this, Here is the God I want to believe in, a Father who from the beginning of creation stretched out His arms in merciful blessing, never forcing Himself on anyone, but always waiting. 
He never let his hands drop down in despair, but always hoping that his children would return so that he can speak words of love to them and let his tired arms rest on their shoulders because he desires to bless them and good for them. We also know in that story that there was another son, the older son, the good son, the son that had stayed home, that had worked hard, the son that was in the uh, fields working when his brother returned, who shows up and there's a party going on, who gets frustrated because why is his dad celebrating the return of this worthless son of his? And he sits outside mad and angry at his father. And what does the father do? He walks out to meet him there. Once again, throwing off the protocols of the party going on. And he meets his son out there. And he says, I I love you deeply. I want you to come and enjoy this because my son was dead. Now he is alive. But everything that I have is yours. Now and also says it this way. He says, the father wants simply to let them both know that the love they have searched for in such distorted ways has been, is, and it always will be there for them. Friends, we have searched for love in so many distorted ways. In the approval of parents, in the approval of a man or a woman, in the approval of a boss or a teacher, we have searched for love in all sorts of distorted ways, and yet God the Father saying it has always been there for you. The last five years have cemented this statement to me that God is a better father than any earthly father could ever be. Just the other day I was sitting at lunch with a friend and I confessed that fatherhood has revealed to me more than anything else in my life my sinfulness, my selfishness, and my shortcomings. More than I would ever want to admit, I have had to look at my five-year-old son, Cooper, and tell him, I am sorry. I am sorry for getting mad. I am sorry for raising my voice. I am sorry for breaking my promise. I am sorry for not being there. I am sorry for not being able to help. I am sorry for not knowing what you needed. I've had to look him in the eye, and it probably doesn't mean much to him, but I am trying to show him that I am going to fail him, and I am sorry. And always in my I'm sorry's, I also tell him I love you. I will always love you. There is nothing you can do that will stop me from loving you. See, as a father, I want to help him and to protect him and to comfort him and to guide him, to empower him, to encourage him, to equip him, to be the man that he needs to be. And as a father, I so badly want to do that well. I so badly want for him good. I so badly want success for him. I so badly want love for him. I so badly want salvation for him. I so badly want safety and comfort and fun and friends for my little guy. And yet, every day, I fall short. I can't provide all that he needs and all that he desires. But I rest hoping and knowing that he has a heavenly father that can love him better than I could ever muster. And I hope that he will know that father. A father who wants good for him. 
a father that wants success for him, a father that wants him to know love, a father that wants him to accept his salvation, a father who cares about him so deeply and truly, a heavenly father who is greater and kinder and more loving and more compassionate, more committed to him than I could ever be. Friends, this is not the too-good-to-be-true father. No, this is the true father of God that wants to be your father who desires you and will never disown you who seeks you even in your sin who runs to you in your rebellion who finds you in your frustration who adopts you who redeems you who restores you who gives you a new identity Because He loves you so. Friends, we have a heavenly Father who sent His Son to endure the deepest pain known to man for you and for me. We have a Father who was willing to sacrifice His Son so that we can become His sons and daughters. We have a great Father. Do you know that Father? Have you accepted that Father? Let me pray for us this morning.